Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. We've been talking about spiritual warfare. I think uh, Minister Gary, are you teaching this Wednesday in Aspire? Uh, last Wednesday, uh, Minister Tim Wright talked about the battle being the Lord's. It's not ours. Um, on next Sunday, Elder Marcus is going to be wrapping up this series on spiritual warfare. And today, I want to just let you know that that you are the devil's worst nightmare. Amen. He should have killed you when he had the chance. Amen. Now you're free. Now you belong to the Lord. And you're about to get even more equipped and empowered. And I'm telling you, the warfare and the battle is not so much in here in the sanctuary, but is waiting for you when you leave. So we want to give you some tools this morning to live an overcoming life. And I want to begin uh, looking at First uh, Samuel chapter 17. This is when David met Goliath, the Philistine. And um, we're going to pull it up on the Amplified Bible, and I'll probably not read all of it, but pick and choose some verses so you all just uh, follow along with me. If you don't get it all, make sure you write it down and you can read it later at home. But I want you to meditate on this word throughout this week. Every day you wake up in the morning, just know that the devil is shaking in his boots and hoping that you don't tap into this word and begin to live it out. In verse 3, the Philistines were standing on one side of the mountain. Israel was on the other side. And every day for 40 days, the champion came out from the Philistines. His name was Goliath. The translation says he was six cubits and a span, which means he was nearly 10 feet tall. That's like me standing on Shaquille O'Neal's shoulders. Can you imagine this giant, this champion who's been trained from his youth to be a warrior coming out and saying, hey, come over here and fight me. The scripture goes on to talk about his, the helmet that he had on, on his head. He had a coat of armor of metal, overlapping metal plates. He had uh, shin protectors on his legs. He had a bronze javelin between his shoulders. He had a, the shaft of his spear and the, and the, the, the blade of the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels. He had a shield bearer who walked out in front of him carrying his shield. And in verse 8, Goliath stood and he shouted and saying, why are you come out to draw up the battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and have him come down to me. 
If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. And he defied the battle lines this day. Give me a man so that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. See, the devil's trying to shake us with the spirit of fear. He's trying to take the breath out of you even before you get to the fight. He's trying to, he's trying to sap your strength, sap your joy, sap your energy, trying to intimidate you with his sighs and with his words and with his armor. And, and I pray that we're not like King Saul and the men of Israel, that when we listen to the enemy and when we see him, we start shaking and we, start, we, we feel defeated even before we even show up for the battle. But thank God that there's a David who's a son. If you, I'm telling you, if you're a son of the house, then God has raised you up for such a time as this, to contend with the enemies at the gates. That's what the psalmist says. Children are, are like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior, and they shall contend with the father's enemies at the gates. That's what sons and daughters do. So Jesse, uh, he had three older sons who were soldiers in Saul's army, and David was the youngest. And David's brothers were there every day for 40 days hearing Goliath challenge them. And they were among those others who were running in fear from Goliath. But then verse 20, David got up early in the morning on an errand to take a, take a meal to his brothers and find out how they were doing. He left the flock in the hand of the keeper. Verse 20, he picked up the provisions and he went just as his father had directed him. And when he came to the encampment, the army was getting ready to go out to battle, shouting for the battle. You know, verse 20, just, it just strikes me that the scripture says they were shouting for the battle, but we just read that, listen, they, they had a shout but didn't have any power. There's a lot of us just showing up for church, looking great, don't have any power, just shouting and clapping and praising, but you know when you leave here, you already defeated. They, they lining up. Till Goliath comes out. Then they're going to run and hide. Verse 24 says, When the men of Israel saw the man, here's Goliath again, they were, they were frightened. And they began to say to one another, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he's coming to defy the army of Israel. The king is going to reward the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter in marriage and make his father's house family free from taxes and service. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good deal. You think that one of them would have been stepping up to the plate, but they're trying to find out, do you got the courage to do it? Do you see what God, you see what the king's going to give to this man? Don't, is it you? Is it you? Because it ain't me. None of them stood up. And finally, David comes out and he shows up at the right time and he hears this, this giant defying his God and his army. And David asks, what's going to be done for the man in verse 26 who kills this Philistine and removes the disgrace of his taunting from Israel? Do you know there's a, there's a spirit of disgrace upon the church today because we claim to know the God of miracles and the God of power and the world and the next generation says, where is his power? Y'all acting like y'all afraid to go out into the streets. 
bringing light, life, and love to the world. When? Just on Sunday? Where is this power? God wants a, he wants a David to, to remove the disgrace that's upon the church. And they began to tell David what was going to happen to the, to the uh, man who removed the disgrace. In verse 28, David's older brother Eliab got angry at David and said, Why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption, your overconfidence, and the evil of your heart. For you've come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a harmless question? Then David turned away from Eliab to someone else and asked the same question. And the people gave him the same answer. By now, word is, is getting the king Saul. We found somebody who's crazy enough to go and fight this giant. And Saul didn't waste a moment. He said, bring him to me. Because if we found somebody, let's get him before he changes his mind. David comes into Saul and David says, let no man's courage fail because of Goliath. See, that's what encourage means. It means to put courage into you. David was, you remember the time that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God? That's what the Lord wants to do for his people today. Before you leave this service and you go back out into, the, into your homes, into your jobs and the schools and wherever else God opens up doors of influence for you today, God wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to show up like David, encouraged. He said, don't be discouraged. And Saul looked at David and said, listen, you're not able to go against him. You're only a young man, and since he was your age, he's been a warrior. David said, well, I may not be as big as him, but let me tell you what I do know. One day I was keeping my father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took one of the flock, I went after him, and I took the sheep from his mouth, and when it turned and tried to attack me, I grabbed it by its whiskers, and I struck it and killed it. David said, I've killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted and defied the armies of the living God. God, give us some Davids today. David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. I thank God for that word from Minister Tim last week. He said, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. And David said, it was the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, and he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, then go, and may the Lord be with you. That's what Jesus told us in Matthew 28. He says, go. Go, I'm going to be with you. Go, I'm going to be with you. But wait a minute, we need armor, don't we? Saul looked at David and said, wait a minute, you wait a minute, before you go, here, put my armor on. David put on the armor, put on the sword, but he couldn't walk in it. You can't walk in natural weapons. David took it off and said, I'm not used to these things. In verse 40, he then took his shepherd's staff. He chose for himself five smooth stones out of the stream bed. He put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had in his shepherd's pouch. And with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now we're ready to go. Clothed in the whole armor of God. The Philistine came and approached David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when he looked around and saw David, he derided and disparaged him because he was just a young man with a ruddy complexion and a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with shepherd's staff? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. 
And he said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. That's just like the devil. But David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. And this day the Lord will hand you over to me. This is about to be a shift, y'all. This day, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the corpses of the armies of the Philistines this day. Wait a minute, I'm going to kill one of them, but I'm going to give everybody over. See, first the head and then the rest of the body. I'm going to give all of the army to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth so all the earth may know this is the reason why we are in this thing. This is the reason why we worship. This is the reason why we showed up today. This is the reason why we go so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that the entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save with a sword or with a spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will hand you over to us. Philistine came forward towards David to meet him and David didn't retreat. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine, put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone penetrated his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. You know what that stone was? The rock was Jesus. <laughs> I'm telling you, the devil's no match for the rock. I'm telling you, you got the right weapons in your pouch. You cannot lose. All you need is the rock. He killed David. He struck the Philistine down and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand, verse 50. So he ran, he stood over the Philistine, grabbed his, his sword and drew it out of the sheath and killed him, cut off his own head. My God, he's about to give you the weapon of the enemy to use against him. You are, you are the devil's worst nightmare. I pray that after you, leave this, after you leave this service and when you wake up in the morning that the devil would say, oh no, he's up again, she's up again. They're about to tear my kingdom down. The devil's worst nightmare is a believer who knows who they are. You got to know who you are. I remember when I was in elementary school, and I thank God that I have three older brothers. We would fight with each other, but we wouldn't let anybody else fight us. And I had a, um, I ain't going to tell you his name because he might be here today, but I had a certain bully in my elementary school used to pick on me, take my lunch money, take my new pencils, my new erasers. Came home one day crying. My brothers asked me, what's wrong with you? I said, what is so-and-so? He's picking on me. I want you to beat them up for me. And he said, no, I'm not going to fight your battles for you, but I'll tell you what. If you don't fight them, you're going to have to fight me. I looked at the bully. I looked at my brother. I said, I'd rather fight the bully than fight you. And so I went to school the next day, stood up to the bully, and said, listen, you better leave me alone, or we're going to swing right now. And the bully said, you know what? I was just playing with you, man. I ain't going to mess with you. I was just playing with you. I said, that's right. You recognize, don't you? <laughs> then realized that my brothers were standing right behind me. That's why he said, I was just playing, man. See, the devil is a bully. 
Our children are growing up in an environment of bullying today. Their, 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 their self-esteem is being snatched away from them. They're, they're being terrorized every day they go to school. Some of our kids don't even want to go to school because they know they got to face the bully. they got to face the taunting. We are living in a society of violence, verbal abuse, stress. I mean, it's not just in school, but, but even in politics, we got political bullies. And it does, it's not just limited to the realm of politics. You got business bullies. You got governmental bullies. You got corporate bullies. You even got some religious bullies because you come to church, you think you could find some peace, but sometimes you encounter these members like, I know you're about not about to sit in my seat. That's my seat. You got some pastoral bullies, bullying people. But bullying is a form of terrorism. Terrorism is, is, is intent upon causing you to feel like you're defeated even before you start the fight. Terrorism has a goal of creating fear on the inside of you and making you feel afraid. And so when Goliath came out for, the, for those 40 days, he was terrorizing the armies of Israel and King Saul with his taunts and with his threats for them to come and fight. Send one man to fight me. Terrorism wants you to just be paralyzed in fear. But David wasn't paralyzed. David began to recount to himself everything that he knew that God was capable of doing. Everything that God had done in the past, David was convinced that God could do in the future. Amen. So he told Goliath, you're coming at me with natural weapons, but I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord. I'm coming at you with the one who is, who's already won the battle. So you've got to know yourself. The devil's worst nightmare is a believer in Jesus Christ who knows who they are and who knows who they belong to. You've got to know who you are and who you, whose you are. You've got to sell out to Jesus because he said, if you submit yourself to me, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's why David was able to defeat Goliath. Not afraid of no bully. The devil's worst nightmare is a believer in Christ who also has prophetic insight into the devil's schemes. They have a discernment. They have an ability to understand what the devil's plots and schemes and, and strategy is even before he has a chance to put it into motion and operation. Every one of us probably can remember where we were on September 11th, 2001. I can remember being at home about 8.45 in the morning and the breaking news coming out, what was happening in the World Trade Towers in New York and what was happening at the Pentagon and, and then, of course, the tragic news that it was a plane flying over towards Pennsylvania because it was on that day that 19 men hijacked four planes and flew them as weapons. These hijackers were organized into four teams, and each of those four teams was led by a pilot who had been trained in the United States how to fly planes. They went to various flight schools in Florida and California, and they were taught. But wouldn't it be interesting, it would have been a totally different story had those American flight instructors had a spirit of discernment 
to say, you know, something is different about these two fellas. They seem awful interested in learning how to take off and turn. They don't seem too interested in learning how to land. Had they had some insight and some inside intelligence to pick up the phone and call the FBI and say, you might want to come check these fellas out. But because they didn't have that discernment, they were literally criticized and derided by society and by the news media showing up at their homes and at their jobs. I mean, it turned their life upside down after the, after the terrorist attack. 3,000 people or more lost their lives that day. Perhaps it could have been prevented if they were walking in discernment. And that's the devil's worst nightmare is a believer that's not just walking by sight, but walking by faith and walking by the Spirit of God. That's not just looking at things with natural eyes, but as Isaiah chapter 2, 11 and verse uh, 2 through uh, 3 tells us, that this, this Spirit of the Lord that rested upon Jesus, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord was upon Jesus. And that he would not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. That in the same way that Jesus was led by the voice of his father as he walked through the face of the earth, that same spirit is upon his children. And you have an ability to figure out the devil's strategy even before he puts it into operation. It's prophetic insight that the people of God need. We need our eyes open and our ears open. Just like the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. When the king of the Arameans was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers and putting a plan together. He said I will set up camp in such and such a place. But verse 9 says. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked. He had some intelligence, it's called. He checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He he summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which one of you is on the side of the king of Israel? Which one of you is a spy? Which one is telling the king my plot and my plan? Because every time I try to catch him, he hears about it and he escapes. So somebody must be on the inside working for the enemy. They said, none of us, my Lord. We're all loyal to you. But it's Elisha, the prophet, who's in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom. I'm praying that God would open up our eyes today that we begin to hear what the devil is saying about you in his war room. That God would begin to show you people's hearts and people's motives. Your co-worker. You know how some people you just kind of know something ain't right, but you just don't, can't put your finger on it. But I know I can't trust them, but I'm going to keep them, keep my enemies close to me. May God begin to open up your eyes and your ears so you can begin to see the hearts and the motives of people. Verse 13, the king says, go and find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. (laughs) Come on, you think that Elisha, if he had power of of, uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit to have discernment, 
you know, to know the king's plot, why would he even be worried that the king's trying to capture me now? Kind of reminds me of the story when, um, you know, the, the Dionne Warwick was real popular with her 1-800-900-dial-a-demon, you know, lines. You know, people were dialing that psychic, call the psychic number. And then a few years later, after she made all that money, she went bankrupt. I heard somebody say, well, how come she didn't know she was going to go bankrupt? You know, she was so psychic. <laughs> she should have known, known that and prevented it if she's truly a psychic. But I'm telling you, Elisha was a true prophet, and God will give you a true prophetic insight. So they reported that Elisha was in Dothan. So the king sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. Again, he's trying to win this battle with natural weapons. They went at night, surrounded the city. When the servant of Elisha, the man of God, got up and went out early in the morning, he saw an army with horses and chariots that had surrounded the city. And he said, oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? <laughs> Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's, what, that's the word of the Lord for us today. Don't be afraid. Listen, don't be afraid of the bully. Your big brother is standing up behind you, number one. Number two, you've already won the battle. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. The Lord opened up the servant's eyes. He looked, he saw the hill was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. I want you to just lift your hands to the Lord right now. Father, I pray you open up the eyes of your people today, God. I pray you open up our eyes, God. Give us, give us Holy Spirit discernment to know the plot and the scheme and the tactics of the enemy. And the things that he've already put in motion and designed and strategized in his demonic war room, Lord, reveal them to us. Reveal the people that he would in, even intend to use to steal, to kill, and destroy. And let the weapons that he has made for us be used against him. We stand on your word that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. In Jesus' name. See, God wants to release prophetic discernment. The gift of discernment is one of the spiritual gifts that's released in the body of Christ. But just like all the other gifts, it's a gift that's given to edify and build up the body of Christ. It's not for you to brag and boast and get puffed up like the Corinthian church did. Even Elisha demonstrates his gift that when he prayed that God would blind the enemy armies, it wasn't to destroy them. But it was to feed them. Because in verse 19, Elisha began to, to take them down a road because they're blind. Now they got to follow him. And he led them to Samaria. As they entered the city, Elisha said, okay, now, Lord, open up their eyes so these men can see. When they opened up their eyes, they looked. They were inside Samaria. And there was a king and all of his armies around them. And the king said to Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? He said, no, don't kill them. That's not why God gave you the gift to kill. He gave you the gift to build up. He said, don't kill them, but set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and let them go back to their master. And after they had a great feast, they went back to their master. And, and the end of verse 23 said, they stopped raiding Israel's territory. 
Hallelujah. So the Lord wants us to, to learn how to walk by the Spirit of God. Some of us, we walk by suspicion, not the Spirit. We're looking for the devil under every rock, in every song, in every scripture, in every word that people say to us. What do you mean by that? What do you, you know, I'm just telling you, you look nice in that dress. I didn't mean anything other than I'll take the compliment back if you don't want it. Just stop walking in suspicion. Walk in the spirit. Don't get spooky. Don't look for the devil in everything. Just walk by the spirit. Jesus always had a, has ear, his ear tuned to the voice of his father. He only did what the father told him to do. He only said what the father told him to say. He was led by the spirit of God. And may, may God help you to grow in your discernment. Now, let me tell you some things that will cause you to grow in discernment. Number one, just spending time with God in his presence. Just begin to worship him. Just begin to sit silent before him. Just, just sit with the word of God before him in your lap and read his word. Talk to him. That's what prayer is. When you get more comfortable with the voice of God, all those other voices of the enemy and the bullies, you will be able to discern that it's not the same voice and the same word that God has spoken to you. And so in this season, God is calling us to greater levels of consecration. For some of us, it might mean fasting more, turning your plate down, denying yourself certain pleasures and privileges. Can I just let you know one of the things that we really need to deny ourselves of is, is, is that television. I mean, I'm sorry, the television. Yeah, turn that thing off sometimes. Some of us are addicted. We talk about young people being, being addicted to the phone and, you know, always texting and typing and tweeting and Snapchatting and Instagramming and all this kind of stuff. Well, some of y'all need to turn the television off. Because that will, that will dull your sense of discernment. There's this, this hellish show that's coming on BET now called Hit the Floor. And every time I see a commercial, Hit the Floor, I hit the floor. I mean, I, I turn that thing off. I'm running through the house to turn the channel. to turn. If I'm in another room and a commercial comes on, I turn it off. You know, this shows like that, that, that we as believers, we sit in front of that television day after day and we take that stuff in. And then we wonder why we don't feel the presence of the Lord in the house of God and why worship doesn't seem to break any strongholds in our life. If you watch BET all the time, you know, BET stands for booty every time. B-E-T, that's what you're getting, B-E-T, H-B-O, for the hellbound only. Showtime will leave you no time to pray. Cinemax will make you sin to the max. All that stuff, will it will dull your sense of discernment. It, you won't be able to hear the voice of the Lord. God wants to give us an ability to judge rightly by what is going on, not by our eyes. But hearing the voice of the Spirit, you become a, a nightmare to the devil. When you know who you are, you know who you belong to, and when you begin to walk in discernment. Terrorists want to make you afraid. You know, the interesting thing about them is they're not afraid to die. 
They're sold out for their cause. They will strap on a bomb, put nails in it, you know, screws and bolts and, and, and detonate the bomb in the name of their God. And most believers are afraid to even testify, afraid to bow their head and pray for their meal in public, afraid to carry their Bible openly, afraid to, to let people know that, you know what, I'm offended by your language because I follow Jesus Christ. And so the world doesn't respect us. The world doesn't reverence the name of Jesus Christ. God says, be encouraged today. Don't be afraid. What Elisha wanted his servant to know when he prayed, Lord, open up his eyes. He wanted the servant to know that, listen, the battle has already been won. I got my big brother standing behind me. In fact, he brought all of his friends with him too. And more are they that are with us than are with them. <laughs> it reminds me of, of what's happening in... Uh, in the world of wrestling, how many of you all are WWF watchers? Don't be ashamed. Go ahead, put your hand up. You know you're watching it. When I was younger, we didn't have all the, you know, glamour of WWF. But Vince McMahon is kind of taking it to another level with, you know, all of the hype and so forth. But the interesting thing about WWF wrestling, and I, I hope that I don't uh, burst anybody's bubble and make it unappealing to you, but because I know some of y'all, y'all love it. But when you watch WWF wrestling, it's already been determined who's going to win before they come out of the locker room. I'm sorry to bust your bubble. I know some of y'all like, my man won, my man won. Yeah, they knew they was going to win last week. It was already determined. Okay, I'm going to win today. You win next week. Three months from now, we're going to meet in Las Vegas for the title. We're going to hype it up. It's already been determined. This is all entertainment. And the same thing is true in our spiritual battle. God has already determined that you're going to win every time. Because Jesus, according to Colossians 2.15, he's already disarmed the powers and the authorities of the enemy. He made a public spectacle of them. He triumphed over them by the cross. He took the devil's teeth out of his mouth. So this, this roaring lion, all he can do is roar. He can't bite you because he don't have any teeth. He can't scratch you because you don't have any claws. The only thing he can do is roar and make you afraid. So the Lord says, do not be afraid. That's why I love Psalm 91 where the psalmist says, those who abide in the secret place and dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. In verse 5 he says, you will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Only with your eyes will you observe and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and if you make the most high your dwelling. See, you got to belong to him. You got to know whose you are. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift up their hand, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Come on. The only part of your body the devil should be touching is your foot, the bottom of your foot, stomping on his head. 
because Jesus has already triumphed over him. Verse 14 says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. The Lord wants us to stop being afraid. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. You rob the Holy Spirit of his power and you rob Jesus of his glory when you are afraid in the face of circumstances and in the face of the devil. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We need to walk in, in, in prophetic discernment. That's the way Paul lived his life. Paul was not afraid to die. He said, if I live, it's Christ, and if I die, it's gain. I'm not looking to die right away, but I'm not afraid to die. There's some stuff I want to do for the Lord. But if I die, it's, it's gain. If I live, I'm going to live for Christ. That's the way Paul lived his life. When he came towards the end of his life in Acts chapter 20, Paul told the, the believers in the city of Ephesus, he said, I am compelled by the Spirit. I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task that the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. The Lord just told me, he says, some of you are running away from the call of God because of fear. Some of you are running away from the places that God has called you to, the people that he's called you to because you're afraid. There are, there are people that are waiting for your voice, waiting for your testimony, waiting for your proclamation of what Jesus has done in your life, but you are running away from it, and they are going to go to hell because of you. Because you're more concerned about your comfort, and you don't want to suffer harm. You don't want to be displaced or discomfited You'd rather be comfortable and see other people go to hell for eternity. Paul said, listen, don't try to talk me out of my destiny. The Holy Spirit has already given me discernment that hardships, that prison awaits me. I don't know what else, but he's warned me. There was even a prophet named Agabus in Acts chapter 21 that came to Paul and took Paul's garment and wrapped it around his own hands and said, whoever this garment belongs to, this is what's about to happen to you. You're about to be tied up, beaten, thrown into prison. Paul said, hey, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. Don't try to talk me out of it. What God has for me, I'm running towards it like David. I'm not retreating. Jesus says, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Why did he give us the Holy Spirit? So you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the world. What does that word witness mean? It means martyr. It means somebody who is devoted to Jesus Christ, who knows who they are, 
who they belong to, walk in discernment, and who are not afraid to die. They're not afraid of harm. They're not afraid to be ostracized, not afraid to be disliked, unfriended on Facebook. Come on, what's the worst you can do to me? Unfriend me on Facebook? Ouch. You just hurt my feelings. I can't tell you how many people have unfriended me on Facebook, who have blocked me, who have not liked my post, who have commented evilly on my Facebook post. Ouch. Guess what? I'm still alive. I'm, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There was a pastor in a, in a dangerous country who was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these men broke into his home where his wife and his three children were living with himself. And they pushed him down on the ground and they took a machete. And they said, if you don't stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ... And deny him right now, we're going to cut your head off. The man began laughing. Began laughing. Why are you laughing? They said, you're too late. I already gave my head to Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's already here. So if you want to chop it off, go ahead. It's not mine. It wasn't, it wasn't very long after that that those men who broke into that home committed their life to Jesus Christ and joined that pastor's church. What would you do if somebody put a bullet to your head, put a knife to your throat like ISIS is doing in the Middle East, saying if you don't denounce Christ and convert to Islam, we're going to cut your head off. See, we cannot be afraid to suffer harm. We're living, in, we're living in the end times, church. We're living in desperate times, dark times, where the devil knows that he only has a short period before Jesus Christ comes back and throws him into an eternal lake of fire and judgment. And so he's working while he can, while it is still a, 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 a dark time for him. Because there's going to come a time when Jesus enters the scene again and, and the church is going to reign with him. And so he's trying to get as many to go to hell as he can. And in the only way that he can do that, if the church is afraid and asleep. We're living in those end times. Much like during the time of the prophecy of Daniel. See, when Daniel was, was given visions and dreams and revelations, see, Daniel lived with divine prophetic insight and discernment. And Daniel says this in, in Daniel eleven thirty two. 32. He says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. What does that mean? That means that Daniel was giving us a prophecy. Hundreds of years before it would take place. It's a prophecy that he was giving insight to by God that would occur in the city of Jerusalem 170 years before Christ would ever be born. That a Roman emperor, a Roman dictate by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes would set up an image in the temple of Jerusalem, an image of Zeus or Jupiter. And would demand that sacrifices be made to that image. Even sacrificing a pig on the altar in Jerusalem. 
the abomination of desolation, which is a fourth picture of the Antichrist that will come in the end times and will do the very same thing. Daniel had this, this divine discernment, and, 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 and historians tell us that it took place exactly as Daniel had prophesied. So much so that even a Jew, 80,000 Jews were killed during that time of his reign. 40,000 were in prison and 40,000 were enslaved. It's the same thing that's going to happen when the Antichrist comes. You think the spirit of Antichrist is in the world today. We ain't seen nothing yet when he, when he finally does manifest himself. And the church is given an opportunity. Either you deny Christ and take this mark in your forehead or we're going to kill you. What would you do? What will you do? It's time for the church to say, listen, for Christ I live or for Christ I die. I'm not here to make friends with the world. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But the life that I'm living on this earth, I don't live by the flesh, but I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. My life doesn't belong to me. My life is not my own. Jesus' last words to us in Matthew 28 and in Acts 1 are still our first priority. What did he say in Matthew 28? He says, go. That's what King Saul said to David, finally. Go, okay, go, go, go. David said, wait a minute, I'm going, but I can't go in the stuff that you're used to. I've got to go in the anointing of God. I've got to go under the power of the Spirit of God. It's that same power that, that gave me strength to kill the lion and to kill the bear. And it's the same power that will enable me to kill this Goliath. Jesus says to us, now go into all the world. Go into all the world. But what do we have to put on? Same thing that David had to put on. The armor of God, Jesus Christ. What's Jesus' last words to us in Acts chapter 1? Is you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But I want you to go, but I want you to wait first. Don't go yet. Wait. Go, but wait. Wait for what? Wait for the power and the clothing of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. He's not just going to come upon you, but he's going to be in you. He's going to be a well of water springing up out of your belly unto everlasting life. He's saying you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit as you go. Listen, if somebody, if somebody is putting a bullet to my head, I better know that I know that I know that I know who I am and whose I am. I better know that I've heard the Spirit of God and the sermon has brought me into this place. Because that's why Jesus said, listen, don't worry about your, what you need to say at that hour. It's going to be given to you by the Spirit of God. They're going to arrest you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to think they're doing God a favor by killing you. But don't worry what, to, what you need to say. The Holy Spirit will give it to you at the hour that you need it. Yeah. But we can't be afraid, church. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. Do you have that spirit of power? Do you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do you have that spirit of love? See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit just doesn't come to make you speak in tongues. He comes to make you love, folks. 
He comes to stir up the gifts of God in your life. And one of the, come on, all, all the gifts operate by love. Faith worketh by love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Manifested as joy, peace, patience, goodness, faith, gentleness, meekness, self-control. It's love. And it's a sound mind. It's a sound mind. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkland Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.